Hi, this is Randy Randall of No Age and host of the podcast Hyphen It with Randy Randall. I want to welcome our newest sponsor of the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Hyphenate listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash hyphenate. Again, that's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash H-Y-P-H-E-N-A-T-E. Go get your music streaming everywhere now. Yo, <clears throat> what is happening? <coughs> I'm stop choking myself. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Hyphen with Randy Randall. That is me. On today's show, my guest is Zach Blair, the guitarist extraordinary from... Oh, no, I could rhyme that. Why did I miss my rhyme? Zach Blair, the guitarist extraordinaire from the band Rise Against. Um, Zach is a shred monster. He also has an incredible podcast where he talks to other shred monsters um, called... Um, Antihero, and that is on uh, the same podcast network you're listening to right now, Ruinous Media. So if you like what you hear uh, on today's show, go over to the Antihero page on ruinousmedia.com and uh, check out all of Zach's incredible interviews that he does with so many great guitarists and get really guitar geeky there. Here today, uh, Zach and I kind of get into more of his hyphenated life, his hyphenated career. He has been in many bands. And I think when I think about hyphenates, I think it can go a few ways, you know, not even one or two, but multiple ways, because that's what kind of hyphenate people we are. We go many different ways. But, um, one idea of a hyphen is somebody who does multiple things at the same time. You know, you could be a, uh, a professor of, of, politics and also be the lead singer of a band simultaneously right or over time i think about people whose careers have have changed and evolved and and matured in some ways you know over time different things happen and i think zach falls into that category of somebody who's really done a lot of cool music over a lot of different years and i think the styles have changed his first band hagfish was kind of in a um you know sort of punk milieu of sorts but also you know kind of poppy and melodic in a way that his next band gore was definitely a heavy metal horror theatrical extravaganza and then from there to go on to rise against which is you know kind of a whole other genre unto itself and um yeah, I think it's, it's it was really interesting sitting down with Zach and talking about all those different times and sort of what the what the motivator is. I think that's one thing I've really been getting interested in as as these podcasts go on is you know what what causes people to be multi hyphenates. What are we trying to to do? What is this what is this weird little brain that we have telling us to do all the time? And why do you do so many things? So many different things. Are we bored? Are we ADHD spectrum? You know. Uh, People, I don't know. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. I think probably more than I'm qualified to diagnose or even talk about. But I'm curious. So, join me while I chop it up with Mr. Zach Blair. Talk all things, uh, hagfish, gore, and uh, rise against, as well as just being an all-around badass guitar player. Um, when when doing some research for the for this interview, I found that he had a very interesting name while he was in Gwar. Gwar's, if you're not familiar with it, the band was a heavy prop 
and theatrical metal band where they would wear these elaborate costumes and uh and have blood and deca- decapitations and it sort of took whatever kiss was doing in the 70s and and turned it up you know by about a million degrees into something more akin to like kabuki um you know horror shows <laughs> kind of kind of uh alice cooper times times a hundred craziness um so great and uh, zach talks about some great documentaries that are out about gore that he is uh also part of as well so uh i will see you on the other side of the interview but thank you so much zach for sitting down talking to me let's jump in hello hello Mr. Zach Blair, thank you so much for joining me here. Well, thank you for joining, for letting me join, I, because you joined me. Um, <laughs> I guess by this point, your your episode of of the Antiheroes podcast will be up, where we got to talk about yes. your your wonderful guitar playing. So I am uh, happy to return the favor. Thank you. Yes, yeah, the flip side of the coin for sure. And uh, yeah, so I, you're known as Zach Blair, but you're also known as Flatus Maximus. Yeah, I am. <laughs> How often does that get brought up? It, you know, it, it does. It's kind of like a deep cut, but, but, um, I'm, I'm very proud of it, you know, and, and, um, a, a really amazing documentary came out, oh, last year called This Is Guar, and you can get it on iTunes and actually the Shutter Plus and AMC Plus app. And it tells the story. I was a part of the, the documentary too, but, um, you know, I, I, I had this, this tenure with them for three, four years and then had to leave just, there was issues going on that ended up taking the singer's life, um, which is all in the documentary. And, uh, but yeah. before that happened, I got to go back and record with those guys, a record called battle Maximus. And it was sort of a send off to the guy that had replaced me because he had died. Uh, just, oh my God. yeah, it's just brutal. And Gnarly. that record, it's funny you ask, cause that record just got remixed, remixed and remastered. It's like the 10 year anniversary of me going back to the band. Um, and this was in the middle of touring with rise against and everything. And uh, anyway, that's about to come out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always, cool. I've always been like in between a punk and a metal guy. I've always like took the, they've both been the same thing to me. So it was awesome to be a yeah. part of, you know, a, a, a thrash metal band that, that had some notoriety to it, you know? Incredible. Super cool. So yeah. So, you know, in, in the sense of a hyphenate, I would say you're definitely a hyphenate in that, you know, the, the many bands and many projects and many styles I guess you've, you've crossed over. You're primarily right. known as a guitar player, specifically of the notoriety of uh, the guitar player of Rise Against. And now as the host of um, Antihero here on yeah. Ruinous Media, as you have a new podcast, Feather in Your Cap. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of switch over there. But I was thinking it would be fun to kind of go back to the beginning, take it, take it from the start, and we'll just kind of go from growing up in Texas yeah. and sort of, you know, where you first where you first learned about music and then like I say kind of where the styles were introduced okay. and where things got started. I did I did some, you know, some quick poking around the interwebs so just to just to get a familiarize myself okay. with a little bit of it. But but yeah, but I want to hear from you. Tell me where did this all start? Where where does the Zach Blair story start? My dad was a radio DJ, like a classic rock radio DJ. So he, so yeah, he would go to work at like 10 p.m. And he had, it was like all night. He, he would get off work at like six or something like that. And, um, wow. and it was his, you know, you could recall and request the new Steely Dan or you could, whatever, you know, this is like from the seventies. It was, it was his, it's all he ever did. Uh, so my dad, all, all, is this like W 
WKRP in Cincinnati. It was exactly kind of Johnny was, Johnny Thunder or no? Was the was the DJ Johnny Fever? Yeah. Johnny Fever. Johnny Fever. And my my dad yes. loved that show. That was exactly <laughs> and even even sort of specific to that character because my father was blind in one eye, so he always wore sunglasses. Um, oh wow! And he was like a seventies rock guy. He had long hair. He wore sunglasses. Um, he was kind of a biker. Uh, he was into heavier music too, like he was into Sabbath and and you know like what would be proto metal, you know, like Blue Cheer mm-hmm. and uh, Hendrix and stuff like that, and Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top because of Texas. But so he got my brother and I. Uh, my brother's a professional musician as well. He's in the band The Toadies. Uh, he's a bass player, and so it was kind of born out of like trying to impress our dad, you know. But it was also just <laughs> the thing, the prevalent thing in our house was like guitar music you know and that wasn't just all music it was specifically guitar music and uh he kind of would drill us on bands and knowledge and stuff like who played bass with Jimi hendrix you know in this band wow. on this record you know when i was like six and i knew that that was noel redding or whatever <laughs> um and and then it was just an obsession it was just all you know and we were we were weirdo kids because our dad was a weirdo freak and living in a small Texas town, a conservative, Republican, shitty small Texas town that was mostly Southern Baptist and Christian and white. And, you know, that was not a good mix. So we got fucked with and got our asses kicked. And and it became this sort of, like, this is what we were, you know, this sort of badge of honor. Um, and we found, like, the other weirdos and just started a band, started playing. And, and we, we started... Uh, kind of a hardcore band that morphed into like a thrash metal band called harm's way with a Z and (laughs) uh, yeah. And, uh, and just practiced all day, every day, you know, but for us being in this weird Texas town, we got whatever we could that was counterculture and that we knew everyone was going to hate and we're just going to piss everybody off. So I remember getting black flag, my war the same day I got Slayer rain and blood and it was all the same shit to me. You know what I mean? We weren't, yeah. We didn't have the benefit of being from a coast and aligning to like aligning ourselves to like New York hardcore or the skate punk scene in Southern California or whatever it might be. We just had to get what we could get, you know. Whatever came through. Yeah. Or it's, it's reminding me of that, that Dead Milkman song. This is a tiny town. Dude, it, you know, the, ex- I do this know. is a tiny town. Mm-hmm. We don't want you coming around. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Wow. Yeah. And then and then what was your dad's reaction to you guys picking up instruments? I mean, was he thrilled? Did he support he it? Was Did he go out and buy you guys stuff? So and... happy. I mean, we were broke because, wow. like I said, he was a radio DJ. My mother was a florist at a grocery store. So we lived in an apartment complex. So it literally broke the bank for him to buy us even shitty guitars and basses. But he became like a football dad. It would be like, <laughs> did you practice today? What would you learn today? You know, and I'd be like, I learned this, uh, yeah. like, you know, Four Horsemen by Metallica. It will show me. You know, and I play it for That's him. Cool. You know, he was, he was that, that dad. He was super proud of wow. us. He's all, you know, he was so happy. He didn't force us on it, but once we kind of came to it on our own, he was, you know, he was so stoked, so happy. That's incredible. Yeah. So I imagine, yeah, the, the chops get developed quickly. I mean, were you taking lessons as a guitar player? I didn't, I didn't. I was also a hyperactive yeah. ADHD kid. So I found that, you know, I did take lessons and this, it was one of those classic things where the teacher just wanted to show me what he wanted to show me. And I just wanted to learn like, you know, Metallica riffs or whatever. And um, so I, I found, you know, teaching myself w- was better. Um and, and because there was nothing else to do and girls didn't like us and all that shit, we got good quick. And then 
with the discovery of like Headbangers Ball and 120 Minutes. You know, you had Headbangers Ball on Saturday and then 120 Minutes on Sunday. So, you know, I mean, it's like you had all the thrash and metal. I think you had all the punk and post-punk and new wave. And it was just amazing. I was just so obsessed. My brother and I had VHSs of just filled, you know, we'd have them ready and we'd, a video would come on, we'd press record and tape that video, you know. That's great. That's amazing. That is so cool. So then, and and then, was, and this is before really the guitar player magazine sort of stuff where you're learning tab in the back of it. I mean, no, or are you literally putting the records on? They weren't really playing along by ear. They weren't really doing, doing tab back then. And that was, that's something yeah. Tim from Rise Against and I have talked about often. It's like, I would have killed to have had that, that, um, avenue back then and and beyond that YouTube I mean Jesus Christ so it was basically just learning by ear and setting the record back and like you know what the fuck and slowing it down to you know speed the speed and stuff um, and doing whatever you could I mean I remember even like you know putting like nickels and shit on the the the, the needle to slow it down you know to whatever you could do so you really had to rely on your ear, which helped later on with doing like Huge. guitar for hire gigs and like, hey, you need to learn this entire set. When I got the Guar gig, it was like, you got to learn 45 songs, man. You know, we they had already had a bunch of records out by the time I joined. And so it really helped for my future thing, you know. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. I I was a tab guy. Yeah, you know, I, I was born in '81, so I think I, I got guitar at about 12, so it was like '93. Uh, yeah, yeah. So by that point, yeah, there was already. We had, I could go out and buy, go to the grocery store and buy something, and just figure out whatever the tab was. Yeah. For it, and uh, yeah, just kind of learn, just go. But it was, but it's a crutch. I think still to this day, I'm, I could hear something. Well, let me look up the tab real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have a, like as much as I. You know, as long as I've been playing, I just don't trust my ear. You know, right. I just didn't have developed that muscle of it. So that's incredible. So then, so then, what's the first band like? Was this is there a high school band? What's the, yeah, my first, first my first band was literally my brother and I and our best friend. Um, he sang, you know, kind of barked, and we were obsessed with like SOD, which was the Anthrax side oh, project. Wow. It was yes. just super offensive. Yeah. Like, good God, <laughs> they couldn't have put that record out today. I won't even say what the name of their record was, but. Um, and then that singer, Billy Milano had a band called MOD. So it was like SOD and MOD. He lives in Austin, Texas, actually now, uh, Billy Milano. And I often tell him like, dude, I was, we were obsessed with, but, uh, we just did those covers. We just did SOD and MOD covers and we didn't even have a drummer. Didn't even have a drummer. <laughs> and, um, that turned into my, we knew a guy that had been out to LA. He was older than us and so formidable to our like growth. Because he had gone to GIT, the Guitar Institute of Technology, you know? And yeah. that was so big to us. It was such a big deal. And he drove like a Trans Am. And he wore like Z Cavarici pants. And he had long hair. <laughs> He's a good-looking dude. And he could he was really yeah. great player. He was a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer. And he was really good at everything. And had he had money. We didn't have money. His family had money. So he had really good gear as well. And he would just invite us over to his house. And he had, you know, full drum set, guitar rigs, bass rigs. It was nuts. So it was like this, like, you know, uh, playground of all the gear. You know, it was crazy. And his, yeah. he was the kind of kid that would, like, tell his parents to get the fuck out of his room. You know, we were just like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, fuck off, mom. You know, <laughs> yeah. fucking practicing down here. Go get me some fucking iced tea or whatever. And uh, oh, my brother and I were just like, what in the fuck is going on? So... But he was really good. And, you know, from being around somebody that's better than you, you just sort of, especially when you're a kid and you, you're 
I mean, I was 13, 14. So it was like, you have that brain, that sponge brain. And our, our, we really grew very quickly from knowing him. And we had a band called, uh, the government flu, which is a dead Kennedy song. Cause he was really into punk rock. He had gone out to GIT and was doing like the shredder metal thing. And he had actually taken personal lessons from, um, Paul Gilbert, you know, from, you know, the, the Whoa, Paul Gilbert. Mr. Big. Yeah. And he could do all that shit, you know, sweep arpeggios and just play and all that stuff. But he really wanted to just be in a punk band, which was suited my brother and I fine. And uh, we had had our thrash metal band Harm's Way with a Z. And that drummer in that band was also a really good drummer. Like he could play Dave Lombardo stuff, you know, we all Slayer stuff. We just, Harm's Way did like Creator, Slayer. We did all those covers, you know, we were pretty good. Wow. Um, I mean, I might listen back to it now and go, Jesus Christ, we were butchering it. <laughs> but, but you're ambitious. We were ambitious. We were scared to take on these, and, these multi-part, right. super fast shred fests. And this kid that could really play drums. So our friend moved back from California to like live with his parents and had all this gear and all that. So we started this punk band. And that played in Dallas. We're from about 45 minutes to an hour north of Dallas. It's still called a suburb. It's a town called Sherman, Texas, and it's awful. And we got a gig, like one gig at Dallas's punk club. It was called the Slip Disc and it was a squat. It was just like where punk bands play. We played one gig there and met uh, other musicians in Dallas, other punk musicians. And we met this drummer that we started our band Hagfish with. And it went through a bunch of iterations. That guy was our drummer. And we just went through a bunch of like iterations, finding members, losing members and stuff. It was always me and my brother. And it went through a bunch of lineup changes, a lot of sound changes. We kind of started off as more of a hardcore thing, more of a minor threat, seven seconds thing. And then really just kind of it morphed into Descendants. We just wanted to rip off the Descendants, which ended up helping us out because we opened for all, which the Descendants had turned into all at this point and became friends with those guys. And they liked our band, oddly enough. And so that started what is now a 30-year relationship I've had with Bill Stevenson from playing in a band with him and, you know, everything else. But I was a 16, 17-year-old kid, and he just kind of took That's us incredible. under his wing. Yeah. we, we, what, we a, sla- what a dream. What a sweet Right. We, we landed on a lineup of a drummer named Tony Barsati, who's to this day one of the greatest drummer musicians I, I know. And our singer George Reagan, and that it got signed to a major label in the nineties. Um, go ahead. What band was that? That was Hag. Oh, no, that was Hagfish. Was Hagfish. Hagfish. Okay, and, got and it. Yes. Bill Stevenson and Stephen Edgerton from the Descendants all produced our records, and that was real touring. That was going to Europe, and that was touring with bands in the states, doing full yes tours and all that stuff. And that was that was really what started me, you know, my whole thing. All the labels wanted a you know, a green day or an offspring. And we were ripping off the descendants with, and we were wearing suits. It was very nineties Yes, wearing yeah, suits, yeah. bald guys, me and my brother and <laughs> playing. We were just like cruise records. Cruise records was like all in the chemical people and big drill car, yeah. all these bands that Bill and Stefan recorded. We just wanted to be that. We didn't know anything about green day and offspring and all that shit. We were Texas and we were ripping off the descendants. That was our whole trip. And eventually, hit at the right time. Yeah, it was the right time to be sounding like that. Right for that sort of marketplace. Did you play? Did you do like warp tours? We didn't. I mean, that didn't start until like '97 or so. This we had Hackish kind of started up around '92, '93. We broke up in about '98, 
And okay. So just on the tail end. Right. But we toured with all of the, you know, no effects and face to face. We toured with all those bands, a lag wagon and everything, even though we just didn't, we didn't sound like those bands. Um, so they were all peers and, you know, would play with not even tour. We play with like rant and whoever else would come through, but we never really fit in with anybody. We would go out and tour with like the super suckers or bands that were like more just sub pop, you know, Revan Horton heat, stuff like that. Or, or what was happening in LA with the punk scene or the boss tones or whatever it was, you know, we just couldn't really find okay. a niche. Um, but yeah, that's all I did. That was the nineties for me. It was just the spam hackfish. And that's what really, how I learned how to do everything, you know, that's incredible, but that's really, I mean, that's really pretty quick from high school in onto a major label. Is that, was, is that, is that characterized correctly? Was it that quick? It was, or I was mean, there, we put one record, yeah. an independent record out in a, on a label in Dallas that kind of put out a lot of Dallas bands. And that was when I was about 17, 18 years old. I quit high school when I was 17. All that my dad died when I was a senior mm -hmm. in high school, our dad got died. He was had cancer. And so my brother and I Sorry. were just like, Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I quit high school. I quit as a senior because I knew I wanted to do this. It's all I ever wanted to do. You know, and when I was five years old, my dad showed me, uh, I was, I watched, uh, Woodstock on PBS with my father and I saw the who it sounds like some st stupid origin story, but that Pete, no, no. that Pete Townsend performance, I was like, that's what I, he looked like a superhero. He's wearing the white jumpsuit. Yeah. You know? And I was like, that's what I want to do. And that's all I ever wanted to do. So we were starting to do it. Hackfish was getting some notoriety while I was still in high school. And I quit. And we started playing almost every weekend. We moved to Dallas, my brother and I. We lived in a garage with like six other people. Um, <laughs> it was disgusting. And yeah. and put out an independent record and then put out some seven inches with other cool labels like uh, BYO and you know some other cool labels. And then... This major label came and we found a cool manager and fuck, it just, it snowballed. It did happen real quick. Yeah, it happened real quick. That's incredible. Yeah, but it makes, I mean, that's the kind of thing too, where like to have that much, to have that stuff go that fast at yeah. that age. And it was, it sounds, you know, there's determination. There was no like, well, someone's going to go to college. Well, I'm thinking maybe this, yeah. I got a girlfriend or maybe I got that. It's, it sounds, I mean, you would have to everybody just be so in tune and so yeah. all heads pointing in the same direction which is which is hard you know for a lot of bands at that age that's the it is the thing you know what i mean like i think everybody wants that sort of line but that, but isn't really you know no one's mature enough or you know yeah. which way knows how to tie their shoes for for five days in a row right. in order to put put string that together most bands kind of like oh that was the show we we're supposed to play but we didn't right. and the thing and this band got you know like that's you know you can never get it together my brother's always been incredible my brother's always kind of been a sergeant like a militant you know <clears throat> by the book we yeah. got to do it this way do it this way and that's kind of why we went through lineup changes because we we thought somebody else had something else in life but this we were like you're not gonna work out you know, this was just right. all we were going to do, period. And we, you know, we lit, like I said, we lived in a garage. We had like our shit in a bag each and we just fucked it. Yeah, we just did it. You know, we knew that's how you had to do it, you know. And fortunately, yeah. Dallas did not have, Dallas had the deep LM scene at that time where there was a bunch of clubs, but a lot of Dallas bands got out. Like there wasn't so much a, Austin bands at the time, there was a big Austin scene. You could be like, a bigger band in Austin, Texas with Dallas bands. They just toured. They just left. So we had all of our peers were like leaving every week to go do tours. And so it was just what you did. And so we, we, wow. we started doing that. Um, but I quickly learned that like, if Hackfish had stayed together, that was the band that I started with literally my brother, my family. <clears throat> yeah. And it was 
limiting us musically. We, we have developed a sound. We knew what we wanted to sound like. And I wasn't, I didn't need to grow as a guitar player, as a musician. I was playing with these guys. I knew what I was doing. I knew what this, how, you know, <clears throat> what worked for this band. You know. But lather, rinse, repeat. Exactly. Just keep going. Exactly. Don't change. Don't we change have this up. thing we do. We're going to yeah. keep doing that. And when it broke up, it kind of happened. It ended sort of abruptly, sort of how it started. I realized I need to kind of woodshed because I also, I was like, this is all, I quit high school for this. This is all I'm going to do. So I need to go back to the drawing board and I need to learn other styles. I need to get better at this, you know? And how, how old were you when it broke up? Oh God. Uh, 22, 23. Okay. And so that's basically like, like college. To yes. Say. You know what I mean? Because that's kind of that, that 17, 18 to about 22, 23 was sort of what, when other, you know, people would go be going that, you know, yeah. What do they cover the call? Yeah. More, more learning. Yeah. And, learning. and it's funny yeah. re- running into guys that we met back then touring that are still in that band from the nineties that they had, you know, with whether it be the Deftones or <clears throat> just other bands that we sort of circled around that they're still in that band. And, it's a trip for me to think like, oh God, what if I was still in Hackfish? I never had to break out. And I'm, I'm, it would have been, it's an interesting thing to think about because of course that's my family and that's, that's, you know, my first gear. Yeah. But I'm so glad creatively and musically because I did get thrown off the deep end and I did have to sort of sink or swim. And if I wanted a gig somewhere else, I was going to have to learn other styles. And it forced me to learn country and to learn jazz and to, I went to Berkeley for blues, you know, that was during the pandemic. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I did, I just wanted to be better at the instrument. I wasn't going to master the instrument or whatever, but I wanted to kind of be able to get on stage with whoever and, and not be lost. And, and moving to Austin was also a big thing. Um, I had known a guy in Dallas, this blues rockabilly phenom, this guy, Nick Curran, which I, I encourage anybody to check out Nick Curran, but he, he passed away. I all these fucking stories end with people dying around me. It's weird. Maybe it's me. Um, <laughs> no. But he he was in the fabulous Thunderbirds, like the legendary Texas blues yeah. rock band that Jimmy Vaughn had been in. Stevie Ray Vaughan's yeah. brother. But he was yeah. a kid. He was younger than me and kind of a punk, like like dressed in punk clothes and was kind of a punk. But him and I started a band that kind of sounded like X. But he, I kind of brought the punk in and he brought in the blues rockabilly shit and he was such an elevated player and that just grew my, my knowledge of the instrument drastically. You know, it's like I've had these growth spurts of just surrounding myself with people that were better than me and mm-hmm. Bill Stevenson was perpetually that and those guys, you know, it's just, <laughs> my God, what are you doing and how, how do I earn the right to be in the same room with you quickly? You know, to where you're not looking yeah. at me like I'm wasting my time. You know what I mean? Uh, right. There's... Which is what a great example of a work ethic. I mean, I think it's kind of legendary. Bill Stevenson's sort yeah. of work ethic and just yeah. the amount of time and hours he puts into playing and practicing. Oh, dude. I... You know, with his black flag on. Yeah. Well, and he learned it from those guys, yeah. from Greg Ginn. But we had a band together after Guar called Only Crime with my brother. And that yeah. was... You know, up until then, I had recorded records with him, and he had been a taskmaster, and it was really difficult, and nothing was good enough. You know, it was like, <clears throat> now we're going to do that better. I was like, that's as good as it gets. He was like, nope, <laughs> I know you can do it better. You know, so we'd still literally sit there hours and hours and hours wow. for whatever it was, guitar, vocals, whatever it might have been. And 
so being an only crumb with him, he's now in the band. He's the drummer. So there is a credit, uh, you know, like his name's going to be on that record as a member of this band. He, we practice seven hours a day. Like you'd break to eat and you'd go, that was a job, you know, but yeah, yeah. so important and formidable to, you know, your growth. It's, you, it's like you, you, you get good. Go ahead. No, you just, you oh, get no, no, good sorry. And you, you, you just keep, you, yeah, you can't not be good at the, you play anything that long or you do anything that long, you get better at it. Yeah. And you don't rest on the laurels of all oh, it's punk rock, man. We could get by with whatever. It's like, yeah, it is punk rock, but that umbrella covers a lot of, you know, yes, it is beautiful because you can be Johnny Ramone and play a bar chord in a certain way and phrase it a certain way and make it special and perfect. Or you can be Robert Quine from Richard Hell and the Voidoids and, you know, blow people, have this whole other guitar universe where you're this genius. But because it's so avant and outside, it's it's still punk rock, you know. And yeah, and Bill sort of fell into that category. And I'm in no way putting myself in the category of him. I've been, <laughs> I've been hanging on by, for dear life through all of these iterations, but I, I'm very fortunate and very lucky and, 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 and thankful, you know, but I, I do think it's interesting. You know, I, I liked, I've, I've been, you know, do, doing a few of these now. And I, I think what's become interesting with me with the hyphenate ideas, trying to identify what some of the motivating factors are, what some of the engine is behind people to do so many things. And, you know, I look, I look at myself and, you know, and as an example, but I also, I love seeing that it was the idea that, you know, like you, I think you were saying like the first idea was to get really good at guitar. You know, there's a familial sort of, you know, impress your dad, which I think is 90% of all men. Sure. And, and, you know, our motivation of, in one way or another. Um, but, but then past that, you know, with the band breaking up. You know what I mean? Then it's like, okay, shit, I'm 22. I've done nothing else. There right. was a sort of not not desperation, but a sort of like I I'm, I'm doubling down on this thing, and I'm young enough and still hungry enough. To, you know, we're not switching. There was no thought of going back to school or getting right. you know that kind of thing, right? And so part of that then now it's like did in that interim from from Hackfish breaking up. Is that when you just exploded? Your your learning, like you said, the blues, metal, kind of everything. Like yeah, that was, that was it. I I I, I in, in hopes of getting another gig. Yes. Or hopes of like. Yes. What was the thought there? Like, okay, you want to join a band, not necessarily start a band. You're not the songwriter singer person. Is that you've identified I, that about yourself? Or well, at that, that time, no, I did. I became that. Yeah. I, like I always wrote in yeah. Hackfish, but then I was like, I feel like to order to to sort of. Cause I had to worry about like eating, you know, I had, it was that mm -hmm. is what I did for a job. And I had so many friends that were professional musicians. I was just like, well, I can offer my services as a guitar player, a performer. I've toured, I have this equity, you know, I, I put some, yeah. you know, I know how to be good on tour. I know how to facilitate that, which is the thing you as well. You, you all know, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. a normal person thing going out there and putting all your shit in a bag and traveling, you know, the, the world. And so yeah. I knew I had something to offer. But I knew I had to, to, to work on it and I had to work on those skills. So um, Guar wasn't even something I was thinking about. I, I knew the bass player because he was from Dallas. He lived in Richmond. But in the interim, I just started playing in Dallas bands. There was a band called the Death Ray Davies that were like a, kind of in uh, 60s, kind of pop-ish, almost like a Brian Jonestown Massacre, a sort of psychedelic kind of a thing. I played with those guys and went and toured with them. I did this thing, this kind of more rock and roll kind of a thing um, with some guys. And I, I just played in a bunch of different bands. Um, so that's kind of where the hyphenate thing comes in. Cause I was like, I can't just be a punk rock guy anymore. Like I'm going to have to play uh, 
in a band in whatever is gonna feed me you know i was like yeah you're gonna play to eat yeah if I was you want to like, eat tonight i gotta go play i gotta what do you need well, you know right what, what kind of guitar you need what, like, what do you got i'll give it all i became that guy i became i was doing studio sessions i was playing in whatever band that uh needed a guy for that night or that tour um and i ended up getting like punk rock tours rock and roll tours that psychedelic tour i did all kinds of shit you know it was and at the time i didn't have any fucking money so i was like kind of piecing together like i hope this guitar i have works and this amp you know it was just, it was it was mm-hmm. it was kind of nuts, but I went out with like, I did go do, do tours with punk rock bands before Rise Against. I toured with this band, The Loved Ones, that were great. That kind of broke up, and it was just kind of whoever would have me. Honestly, um, it was always better than working some day job. I would do like temp work when I was home, or bar back at a bar, or whatever the fuck it might have been. But it was always in, you know, there was always some tour coming up with whoever. And then I met, you know, the guys like Nick and the other guys in Austin who they were like, we'd be sitting in there at lunch and they'd get a call for that night. And they would just go do a blues set with musicians they never met, just playing standards, you know, and they'd call it out like, it's in G, you know, and they would just, all right, fuck it. And I was like, God damn, that was a whole other level of that shit that I wasn't doing. You know, with what I was doing is like, I needed to know their songs. It wasn't just like, just, it's an A, go for it. Like, fuck you know it blew my mind when i saw how those guys worked like in austin was full of those guys that was all i was hanging out with when i moved here like i was hanging out with like gary clark jr who's now a huge but he was gary was a guy we'd be at coffee and he'd he used to play drums with bands and guitar and bass go you know he he'd go play with anybody it was fucking great and so that was like okay this is where i want to be that's that's kind of what i wanted to do and then rise against happened you know that's that's what i was trying to it was realistic in austin there was a lot, you know, live music capital of the world. There was enough of a tourism thing to be like, I was studying with those guys and learning how to do it, you know? And that's why Rise Against happened as I was playing with Nick and we had a band and it was playing like the local blues, let's place the Continental and Antones. And it sounded like X. It was kind of like bluesy and there was some a little bit of aggression to it. Rise Against called me. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. But it always still kind of stuck in my craw. I still was like, underdeveloped as in my opinion as like beginning on stage and just getting you know holding my own so when pandemic happened i just i started taking online courses at berkeley and for a master's in their blues course (laughs) it was it was so dorky but it was fun no no but it's like you got to find your nth degree you know complete the circle of whatever it is that that's that's your motivator you know what i mean that idea of like okay i'm going to come back to this and complete my training yeah so i can you know know that because i think that's a big thing too with with anybody i think it's in sports but it's in art and music you know certainly there's a certain amount of like how far can i go you know you want to test those limits of just what it is like how good could you actually be yeah you know what i mean i think it's an easy like you said you know there's a lot of like oh it's punk it doesn't really matter and i think you know but there's a lot of that kind of thing you know if you play baseball or whatever it is like how far not not only just professionally how far can you go but even just skill wise what's your fastest pitch what's your fast what's your what's what's the highest your personal best and you know what what, i I think there's a lot of that like just pushing yourself to reach that and you know as as far as as well as i do like with what you and i do it's it's really easy to also forget what makes you you when you're taking a bunch of lessons and learning a bunch of other styles like i i have found myself being so mired in like whatever you know, I, I took shred course, actual shred courses online. And when I was doing that or jazz, I was taking jazz courses and all this stuff. It was, I, I personally felt like I was losing what made me, me, you know, what mm. I wasn't 
phrasing and playing the ways that I sort of had self-taught, you know? And, and it's so weird to unlearn, you know, you're like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta remember who I am. You know, that made, that's what's great about punk rock is like, you can be blindfolded and go, that's Johnny Ramone or that's, you know, Stan from Stan Lee from the Dickies or that Stephen Edgerton from the descendants. They all have very discernible things that also wasn't as yeah. prevalent in metal, you know, when a, when a metal guitar player has that, it's very special because otherwise they could, it could get a little homogenized. Like, you know, there's this overly distorted thing and here's a swept arpeggio and all that stuff. So I was, that was kind of happening in my personal opinion. So I had to kind of step back from, you know, learning and all that shit and kind of relearn who I was and what made me, me, you know? And so that's been a, that's been an interesting thing as well. Yeah, I think I think that's a huge part about the idea of, you know, sort of the hyphenated sort of life of like, you know, you can be a million places, but is that is it all you? Right. And I think that's also part of it, too, is I think a lot of people are more than one thing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Well, if you were to be honest about it, it's like, OK, you know who you are, but it's like, I'm not just metal guy. I'm not just punk. Right. Guy. You know, especially as you get older, as you move through time. I mean, there, you I think people go through phases or eras or things. I'm obsessed with this the one thing right now. Right. But as you get as you grow, you know, time, you know, you you, you mellow or, or you get the confidence to kind of say, yeah, I like all this stuff. I like all this. I stuff. like a good. I like a blues riff. I like right. this. I like a I like a punk thing. I, you know, do, that you can just feel comfortable and confident in embodying and being your identity doesn't have to be so defined. I think as a, as a young person, it's a, it's a, I think it's a blessing and a curse. I you know, I think we all do it to ourselves as a young person is we're so unsure and so unconfident about who we are that we just pick that thing. Like right. I'm the Mohawk guy. I'm the guy with the belt. <laughs> I got the belt. I got right. the biggest belt on there. I got all the, you know what I mean? I think so much of that of youth culture is about that, you know, sort of self-identifying externally but, but, in those kind of ways. And music is a big part of that too. That's a great you point. Know? And I think going back to like yeah. being from Texas, and us being not being able to be aligned with any coast or any music it was all just counterculture to us i mean i remember having you know mm. the red i mean the the rem tape uh, uh and the slayer tape you know whatever and and so i always i never liked one type of music so i never wanted to just know one type of music and with hackfish starting and doing so well immediately it's like i was kind of stunted as a musician and i was like wait i like all this stuff and i want to learn something about all of it and see if i can bring that you know, somewhere. And so that, that was, I was trying to be a multi-hyphenate musician, I guess, you know, but then I, yeah, I realized I, I threw so much at it. It was all I was, it was my hobby. It was my passion. Mm-hmm. It was my living. And it always has been that then I realized, Oh shit, I'm like kind of an underdeveloped human because this is all, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I started a <laughs> podcast, but what do I do? I interview guitar players. It's fucking it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's, you know, but it's it's all whatever you, you can handle. You yeah. know what I mean? It sounds like obviously you've been hyper successful, super successful with it. Oh, um, I wanted to ask about, um, you know, in this, was there an era there where there was lots of auditions and if yes. so like was there was there one riff that would that would either would be a make or break thing was there something you could pull out obviously you'd have to learn their songs right but was there a certain kind of lick or something you could put in that was like code like oh this guy's great he can pull off well this thing you know because the beatles always have that thing there was a thing like oh you know paul knew um uh ramble right. or, or rumble right right he could do that you could do the you know link ray rumble and like oh he's really good he knows that right. one okay he needs to be in the band did you experience anything like that Yes. And, you know, for me, I found with like a lot of the punk world, a lot of guys never learned how to play lead guitar or lead guitar properly. And if you knew any sort of cool licks and executed it well, people were impressed because, you know, 
mostly people just worried about being a great rhythm guitar player and facilitating the song. And the riff. Right. Yeah, you got to write the riff. And, and yeah. some of my idols were like Scott Ian from Anthrax, who was notoriously just the rhythm guitar player, or James Hetfield from Metallica, who's still one of the most mind-blowing guitar players of all time, but he doesn't play lead. His right wrist is the is the the drums in that band. It is, you know, it is the metronome. It's, 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 it's more on time. It's more the metronome than the, than the guy behind the drums. And he'll admit it. He'll admit it. And they'll admit it. And so I was, I was, I was focused on that being a, a, you know, as good a rhythm guitar player as I could be and tie it. But I also was learning how to play lead guitar. And so if you kind of showed up and just, as you were warming up, did some, some cool little shit, and not like show off he swept, you know, like I kept seeing swept arpeggios, but like, you know, if oh, yeah. you, if knows what I'm talking about, those are like this, they're silly. You know what I mean? But it's like very classical. Right. Right. But if you just did something that was like tasteful and cool with the, like some style and some flair and, and execute it well, it was, people would be impressed. But I also, if I was like really trying to get a gig like Guar or Rise Against, whatever it might be, I would kind of learn a deep cut that maybe they didn't want me to learn or not, or they didn't say to learn like with rise against was like, learn this, this amount of songs. That way we'll know you can kind of play every song in our repertoire. If you know these five, cause this one's fast and this one's slow and this one's quiet and whatever you, if you can play those five, you can, and that's what Guar did as well. But I would learn like a deep cut that maybe was a little difficult, challenging and go, Hey, why don't we play such and such? And they'd be always be like, Oh, Whoa. You know that? You give a shit. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, like, hey, you give a shit. Yeah. You want the gig. You tried it out. And and you're, you're serious about this. And not only can you play this five they gave you, but you can play this other thing. So it's a, it, you, it, like, okay, it's a clincher. It's like, oh, well, fuck, you could do this whole thing then, you know? Or, That's cool. Or sometimes go and I would, like, learn their whole live set because I'm a dork. And, you know it would become this challenge thing to me. Also from <laughs> yeah. my brother, my brother is very militant, very that guy. Um, Johnny Ramone. Yeah. That's why I keep thinking when you talk uh, about my him, brother. it's like somebody needed to be that. Somebody needed to be the leader. That is. My, have you read that Johnny Ramone book? Yes, I have. It's very, my, it's incredible. It's right? very, my brother, aside from the NRA and like the Republic, <laughs> the Republican right wing thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Reagan, God bless George Bush. Yeah. Yeah. But my brother always had that, 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 focus and that uh ethic and ethos toward everything so i just you know i'm not as much as yeah. he is i mean that's it's bananas but but you know I, I wanted it bad enough and i knew with rise against i really wanted to be in that band and i like those guys a whole lot and and you know why not push yourself just a little bit extra there's been gigs you know that i've gone out before and haven't gotten you know because for whatever reason maybe who knows you know like some other guy might have been better what 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 are some of the big ones? What can you share the the uh, the, the big band you went for that you didn't get? I'll have to tell I you. No, you can't. I'll have to, you, I'll, oh, we'll do it. Take it off pod. Okay, yeah, I'll okay. have to tell you off pod. I've always, I uh, I had John Herndon from Tortoise. You know, oh you know, yeah, kind of, kind of progressive yeah, yeah, band yeah. from Chicago. Yeah. They uh he I had heard from John Stainer from from Helmet. John Stainer, that drummer, that that Herndon had gone had tried out for Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I was like. Ooh, this is a story. So when I when I had John Herndon on the pod, I was like, "Is this true?" And I wasn't sure if he was going to talk about it or not. But he he told the whole story about going out, you know, auditioning, and it was him and Chad Smith oh, wow. back to back in whatever late '80s, you know, so era that, that was. That guy, I don't and, know that guy, but John Herndon. They, I remember he they used to call him Johnny Machine, 
and he he was in the poster children before tortoise yep. and we played with yep. that but i'm sorry to interrupt by the way um no 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 we, we yeah. played the hackfish played a show with poster children and they came back and stayed with us this is in dallas in like 93 92 and I was cool. so, that was, at that time, that guy was the best drummer I'd ever seen. I remember he had a chain, he would, uh, like, chain his kick drum around his, from, like, his, you know, his spike, his kick drum, uh, one side, around his, his throne to the other one. And our drummer in Rise Against does that to this day. But I remember seeing that, like, oh, my God, he must be so intense. And he was. He was so good. That guy was so, he is so good. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he still is. Yeah, he's incredible. I, I, yeah, I feel I'm so lucky to see him play drums whenever I can. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. But, yeah, but that kind of blew my mind. Because I think, you know, still coming from that sort of younger mentality of, like, oh, well, there's this world and there's that world. These mm-hmm. worlds don't cross over. But as you know, probably better than anybody, that there is there's a huge crossover. Oh, they, absolutely. Like, you know, touring and, like, playing shows absolutely. and where you came from and the best friends, you know, this band, you know, it was like. And if you show that uh, you can. Pl- the machine and tool. Yeah. You're like, you know, the best, the guitar players are best friends, you know. If you like, show that you, know, you can you know, play and that you're. You, you're good on touring. You can, you know, you're not a dick. Yep. You're not a fucking asshole. You're not stuck in your ways about anything. It, it gets around. It's a small knit circle out there as, as you well know. I mean, look at it now. I'm in rise against you're in no age. We know each other very well. You know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, right, right. it's a small knit, yeah. it's a small knit thing. And then our buddy is Joseph from cold war kids who was also in the shins right. and also in modest Mouse. you know? So it's like, yeah, one hand wall, you know, it's, and that's what I love about this, this fraternity, this, you know, cause music, yeah, music, musicians are musicians. You exactly. Know I mean? After, after two minutes of sniffing each other out, you kind of get down to like, Oh, what are you playing there? What do you got? What exactly. Kind of, what size picks you have? What size, what is this? What does that do? Exactly. Oh yeah. I like that. We one. smell our own, that's, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. Um, so that's incredible. So, so now, uh, hack fit. Oh, Gore, did we really go? Oh, so Gore was, you were, you were wearing a full, oh, yeah. full thing. I mean, that's probably, that's probably the most intense live shows you'd been in or how do you compare live shows? I guess in these, and these, these worlds you've been in from Hagfish, Gore, Rise Against, you know, what is, what is the most difficult live scenario there? War, what are challenges you face? War was just the most sort of, you know, at any given moment you could get hit in the head with something. Um, you could get drenched with something that would like, you know, you could get electrocuted. You could get, and this is all from your band. This isn't from the yeah, audience. for sure. This all from the band. You. This is your, this is a band attacking all from the band. And then yeah. you were, you couldn't breathe. You had a hot piece of rubber on your face. So depending on the AC in the club or how crazy the crowd was getting. And you know, it's a big sweaty mosh pity packed venue. You could pass out, which people did all the time. I almost did all the time. I never did, but you'd vomit wow. because you were getting heat stroke. Uh, you you would get heat stroke. Uh, we I, we often did. I would get skin rashes and skin irritations because you can't really properly oh, yeah. wash off. It's just it's latex and foam rubber, and it gets dirt. I mean, you know, it gets disgusting. You throw it in a road case every yeah. night when you're done. It still gets sweaty. You would get maggots in them in the costumes. You would get, you know, bacterias and just, it was disgusting. And so I would get impetigo or everybody would, you know, cause it was like a, that kind of skin fungus irritation. Oh, it's oh. disgusting, dude. It was fucked. And so that was definitely, you know, not only you really trying to concentrate on this like ambitious music, you know, it's not just, it's not Ramones, you know, it's not just whatever. And, yeah. and I was the lead guitar player in the band. So I had to do these, you know, the guy I replaced was fucking amazing guitar player and so i had to like kind of try to faithfully re 
reinterpret his solos and then plus my own of the records that I had done with him. It was all around. It was like, it was 360 degrees of hard, you know, it was all around. Just <laughs> everything was hard. Nothing, no, was easy. nothing was easy. Even if you yeah. stood still, you were still like, you couldn't see the guitar because you had a mask. A Maya mask oh, yeah. had like cheekbones in it. I couldn't see past them. Oh. So, you know, it, it never, you never could phone any of it in. Like solo. Yeah. Solo in the dark yeah. with your hands tied behind your back. It's and, it's and, yeah. essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For it's an incredible. hour and a half, you know, and they, a lot long sets, you know? Yeah. And what was the, how did you keep was it hard to keep the guitar working or the equipment working with that amount of just kind of like Some, stuff happening with stuff breaking all the time? Did you have techs? Did you have we was had, a whole support crew or are you guys responsible for your own gear? We had a tech both. Like you have an okay. odd okay. guitar tech that kind of did guitar, all guitar, both guitars in the bass, but you also kind of did a lot yourself. Like in Guar, that, that band works so hard. If you don't help, you know, load in, load out, kind of help facilitate as much as you can, you're a fucking dick. And you get voted off the island, you know? Wow. Everybody pitches in. There's no, like, I'm a musician, I'm the guitar player, so I'm going to hang out on the bus and come in and sound check and then go back out to the bus and come in. You know, no, no, no. You're, like, on call. Oh, you're working. on, hands-on, yeah. And so my guitar tech would work while we were playing, of course, but, I mean, I was, I would change my own strings and set up my gear and all that shit. Um, and you played, like, we would play, like, free you know, <laughs> guitars that were like, if they got fucked up, it wasn't the biggest deal. Um, okay. But they'd stay in tune fine. Cause a lot of them had Floyd Rose tremolos, you know, locking nuts and all that shit. That's, that's yeah, getting yeah. in the weeds with dorky guitar nerd stuff. No, 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 no. I love that's it. About, I love that's it. more from my podcast, but that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know. I, I didn't, I didn't even ask you what your first guitar was. I was, I've been, Oh, there you, there you go. There you go. There you go. I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But so, so it was, if, if, when somebody would get like, we call them decaps, like in Guar, they cut the heads off of things a lot. And so there's somebody in that costume and they can't really see very well. And so if they would come at you and aim towards you, you would just get covered in like food coloring and water that was supposed to simulate blood. Yeah. And so that would go into the guitar, into the pickups. And, you know, sometimes it fuzz out and you have to change all that. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it was rough, man. Wow. It's rough. Yeah. That is a lot. Have you, have you ever been, there was no real blood. Every no like pig's blood or animal blood. No, anywhere. none of that. None okay. of that. But yeah. you would be your own blood quite often. You know, you <laughs> get hit with something or you know whatever. Well, yeah, we um, we played a show in uh, in Christchurch, uh, New Zealand, yeah, yeah. and and the night before it was some some Scandinavian you know metal band, and they had gone to the butchers and got a bunch of real pig's blood. Was that and the whole club? Just smelled horrible. Was it Watane? I, I don't know what their name was. Watane? I don't. Maybe I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see the name. But I was. Just, I was just so pissed because we got in there the next day and they said they tried to clean it, uh -huh. but it just that smell is just so pungent. There's a and Dean and I are both vegan, uh, and so it's the kind of thing of too. We're like, I haven't smelled. I don't know if this is normal. Yeah, yeah. This is a normal kind of thing. I think even if you eat meat, you're not used to smelling. Oh that no, much. it's like, disgusting. Rotting blood that was overnight with beer and everything else. Just like it, like just permeated the whole stage. There's. I just felt like vomiting the whole night. There's a black metal really band called Watane, and they they do that. They get like. Okay. animal parts and animal blood and do that and and it, and it was the same thing i remember going and seeing them at like tt the bear in in, in uh boston the like downstairs and it was yeah. like really small oh. and god it fucking smelled terrible 
the smell. Yeah. The smell's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But I imagine this I imagine the costume smelled. Oh, um, they were awful. Those, and those like especially you would you would sometimes go and open the thing and there's fucking maggots in the costume. I'm like, yeah. Oh, just that just brings up so many questions. Oh, dude. questions I know. Like, I know. Why? What? Just disgusting. Ah, you, disgusting. Uh, wow. Well, well, this has been incredible. We have really covered a lot. Uh, I do want to talk about anti-hero podcast. Where did this come from? Now, you know, you've 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 you know played amazing guitar in all these bands oh, and you. you know lifelong career. And then what made what made podcasting attractive, or what? what how did this get born? Well, it had. It, I had started a podcast like maybe. During pandemic, because there's nothing else to do with my one of my best friends, a guy named Mike Weeby, who is is as an actual multi hyphenate. Like he is an actor, musician, stand up comedian. He sings for a band called the Riverboat Gamblers, but he also him and I have a band called Dracula's, which is also another different type of music that's more like new wavy, synthy, Devo, post punk, and and uh, it, it's it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. But unfortunately, I don't get to really play with it much anymore. He tours it with another band, with other guys, but we still write it anyway. So we had started a podcast during pandemic called Zach and Mike Make Three, where we basically just fucked with each other. We just, you know, there were really close friends and he's a really funny guy. So it made me feel like, oh shit, I can actually do something else. You know, uh, it's not just music. And uh, our mutual uh, benefactor, I guess, uh, but also amazing, per- <laughs> amazing person, amazing musician, Joseph Plummer from the uh, Tour Stories podcast. He had me on tour stories and i didn't know joseph uh he asked for me which is great i think he had maybe heard the zach and mike make three podcasts and he at the end of it he's like man have you ever thought about having a podcast you know what would you want to do because he has ruinous media which is the the platform that we're both on and i came up with the concept of well i would love to talk to guitar players that i think are interesting and there we go and now it's anti-heroes with with me and it's on the third season now and I, I just love it. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was a similar kind of story with me. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd been, I, I did this thing. I think you did it as well for vans, the, the during the pandemic. Oh, had, and our streaming show, our bass player, Joe did, did one. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. I had, I had a monthly show on that and where I would interview people and play records and stuff. And I was like, this is really fun. Yeah. I'd never really, you know, I've been on the other side of being interviewed so much, but never really on this side of it. And I was, and then, and then I was on Joe's podcast and I was like, this is, this is, you know, this could be fun. And so I talked to him more about it that way. It's, and it's it so fun. There, and but, it gives me such an, you know. it gives me another thing to do that's still music related. Um, for me to be like really invested, I think there has to be some sort of music slant to it. And I just have to accept that in life, that that's just who I am. And, you know, I don't golf, I don't surf, I don't gamble. I don't, you know, I just, to me, this is enough. There's so much to this, what we do that it's so multifaceted. you know, it scratches a lot of itches for me, you know, it's just magic and yeah. it's all I'm into, you know, I, I, I collect guitars and amps and all that shit. So it scratches that itch. I have something to look for, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And well, there's enough, yeah, there's, there's tech, there's creative, yeah. there's, you know, business, there's all the stuff of it all, you know, there's enough stuff within that world. Absolutely. That it definitely can become a 360 sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I, I think it's incredible. This, is, this has been super fun. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything you want to promote or that well, you're looking just to plug? Antiheroes podcast, yep. um, the ruinous media network that you are listening to this podcast on. And, uh, we have Randy Randall, uh, coming up. I, well, I don't know yeah. when this episode's going to air. It might've already aired. 
probably has already been aired. Yeah. yeah. So this, this might be a while after that. Uh, Rise Against have some festivals coming up in September and one in October. So maybe you look at, you know, all things Rise Against uh, for that, our, our Instagram and uh, uh, website. I'm so bad at promoting. Um, <laughs> we're going to Australia with Blink-182 in February of next year. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff coming up. Um, yeah, but check all that out. Awesome. Well, Zach or... Flatus Maximus. Uh-huh. I wrote it down over here. I'll have to check. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming Randy, on. Randy, thank you so much for having me. And also thanks for doing doing my podcast. It's uh, fr- for sure. Friends for Anytime. life. Friends for life. That's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Is he not just the sweetest man you've ever met? Zach, I am charmed by you constantly. Thank you so much for having me on uh, Antihero. It was a pleasure to geek out. I do not get to geek out enough about guitar. I could always use more geeking out uh, time in my life. I'm sure most guitarists feel that way. If you really ever want to get a guitarist talking, ask them something about tubes. (laughs) Ask them about pedals or cabling, and you will find yourself in a uh, 20-minute deep dive conversation about, you know, whether these EL34s are really, you know, mid forward enough, or if you can get down to some 6550s, really chunky low end kind of tube situations, and there'll be lots of numbers and words like, um, <laughs> like uh, uh, frequencies and uh, ohms, and uh, I don't know. Silly, silly guitar words, players. The tone's all on the fingers, man. That's all you got to say. If you ever find yourself, it's also another trip, another trick, uh, trick and tip, another tip. If you're ever in a uh, conversation with a guitar player, just say, tone's in the fingers, man. And they will, they will agree instantly. And no matter how geeky or how nerdy they're out, they're getting into whatever kind of setup they have, digital versus analog versus single coils versus humbuckers, just say, tone's in the fingers, man. And they will go, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It'll it'll take take him back a step so uh thank you again zach and please everybody go listening listen to his podcast anti-heroes here on ruinous media you can find it at ruinousmedia.com backslash anti-hero and um go check out rise against they're going to be touring somewhere wherever you are their deep back catalog is all out there on the streamers and at your local record stores and do yourself a favor and uh, listen to hagfish also i feel like that took me back quite a quite a number of years uh hearing those songs and as well as the great uh war documentaries that are out there on the great war records so uh thank you again zach and thank you everybody for tuning in i will see you on the next one Bye.